Well, good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. As you can see, we are continuing our series in Rooted, looking at our doctrines, our belief, and realizing what we believe matters. Uh, Too often we've thrown off what we believe just to the theologians, the scholars, those pastors. They can dig deep into that stuff. I'm just living life. But to live life with purpose and live life with an authority of Jesus Christ in our life, we need to know what we believe because as that, that clip just shows us, what we believe shapes us. It determines how we react, how we live, what we do, what we don't do, and our perspective on life. And so I, I think, I know for myself already in this series, uh, it's been powerful just to be reminded of what I believe and how that affects how I live my life out each day. If this is your first time here with us at NBC today, uh, or at least in this series, we're on the third week, and the first week, Pastor Errol shared about the doctrine of God. Who is God? What is His relationship with us? How does a sovereign God and, and us human peons interact together? But more than that, to realize God's control over everything and His desire to move and to work in great ways. Last week, Pastor Earl shared on the Holy Scriptures and the power of God's Word in our life. How this book isn't just another book that we have on our shelf. It's the living Word of God that cuts deep into our hearts, guides us, directs us, leads us in the ways we need to go. And today, we're going to hit on the topic of man. And how does our belief and our look at man affect how we live out our faith? Now you can look around this morning, there are lots of different examples of man around here. And let me tell you ladies, this is not for you to check out, okay? This isn't about men and all the ladies can say, oh, finally they're talking to these men, he needs it. No, when I say man today, I'm speaking of all of humankind. In fact, the Hebrew term for man is Adam, and that means humankind. So guess where Adam got his name? Adam. Humankind, And so we are going to be speaking to all of you today. And so I'll probably use the generic term man most of the time. So ladies, I'm not dissing you or anything, okay? Just include yourself in the whole of mankind today. We got to start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, man created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, man created the heavens and the earth. I'm teaching new doctrine this morning, just to get your... Some of you are like, what's my Bible say again? That's not right, is it? Thank you. In the beginning, man did not create the world. But here's the funny thing. A lot of us live as if we did. We live at the center of the universe. The world revolves around me and what I want. I created it all. It's all mine. We become very self-centered. We're almost like that 13-year-old girl diva that thinks the world is all about her, you know, and oh, you, you mean you were just created to be her servant and her help, you know? Now, if you're a 13-year-old girl in here, please forgive me, okay? You'll grow out of it. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> but the problem is some of us haven't grown out of that. We're still 13-year-old divas thinking the world revolves around me. But I didn't create it. God created the heavens and the earth. 
Many people today trying to find themselves, trying to discover their purpose in life. And when they got this idea that it's all about them, they're looking within themselves. They're trying to discover themselves. And you and I have probably been along that line trying to find who we are and we're digging deep. We're going to the counselors. We're going to all these self-help promo people. Okay, find that big, strong person within you. And we keep looking, we keep looking, we keep looking. Where are they? Because we didn't create ourselves, God created us. And that's going to be the premise we're going to work off of this morning, that God created us. And we need to have this proper biblical perspective of who God is. Or, and proper perspective of who we are. Because it affects our view of God. It affects how we live our life and interact with each other. It ultimately affects even our salvation to realize that I can't save myself, only God can. Because I am just a human being. I'm man. Like I said, in looking at this doctrine, we've got to start at the beginning. And if you've got your Bibles, please take them and open up to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us the story of creation. Of how God created the earth. How he created the sky, the flowers, the trees, and how he created us. Now, in understanding the book of Genesis, we need to do a little background perspective look at what is, why did Moses write the book of Genesis? Moses wrote the book of Genesis under the inspiration of God, they believe probably right around the time of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. The children of Israel were in bondage, slaved in Egypt for 400 years. They lived amongst a pagan society as their slaves. And this pagan society had gods for everything. There was gods for the sky, gods for the moon, God for the sun, God for the water. There was God for the mosquitoes, okay? There was a God for everything. And when Moses inspired or when God inspired Moses to write the book of Genesis, his number one thrust and emphasis in writing the book was to remind the people that there is one God. And that one God created the world. There wasn't a God that created the sun, and then another one that created the moon, and another one that created this, and another one created... It says there is one God that created the world. God wanted His people to know... That the emphasis isn't so much on how God created. And if you read Genesis chapter 1 specifically as it goes through the days of creation. And I was trying to get Errol to have me do the Yom song. You know, those of you that have been around Spike, he's like, oh, I don't know if it's really a So if you missed the Yom song today, you tell Pastor Errol, okay? But um, the Yom song is in Spy Kids songs. that says, on the first day of creation, you know, God built this. On the second day of creation, God did this. And then he said he created man in his own image and the greatest of all creations is man, you know, type thing. But when you look through the creation story, if you're a scientist, there's not a whole lot of detail in that writing. You look at Genesis 1, it says God spoke and there was the sky. God spoke and there was the sun. God spoke and the water receded from the land. He simply spoke things into being. But how did he do it? You know, our scientific minds want to know. But let me just put you at ease today. 
That wasn't the purpose of why Genesis was written, to give us a scientific explanation of how it got done. It was written to let us know God did it. Now we have scientists in here. We have a Jim Phillips over here that teaches on creation and science and all this. And there's lots of great Christian teachers out there digging and archaeology is discovering more and more new things about how God might have done it and all those things. But the book of Genesis in this first chapter is not so much emphasizing how God did it, it's reminding us who did it. God created. Spoke and it was all good and it came together. But look at in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 if you have your Bibles, we come to the creation of man. And God does something a little different. Then God said, let's make man in our image. Now, did he say, let's make cows in our image? You know, let's make bears in our image. Definitely not the Chicago bears. Um, But let's... Hey, you guys know, I, I feel sorry for you. I do. And it's funny how you just don't see too many orange and blue out anymore on the weekends. But I'm not going to go there. Uh, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God says, we're going to take something here really special. I'm not just going to speak something. We're going to make something. Let's look at our doctrinal statement of what we believe as the articles of faith about man. It says, We believe that Adam and Eve were directly and immediately created by God in His image and likeness, free from sin, and with the intent that they should glorify God, enjoy God's fellowship, live in God's will, and by this accomplish God's purpose in the world. Through Adam's sin of disobedience, man lost his innocence, incurred the penalty of physical and spiritual death, became subject to God's wrath, and became corrupt. Man is thus hopelessly lost apart from salvation through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. And we're going to try to take that apart today and highlight some of the things. The cool thing is, you don't see too many big words up there, do you? Um, I don't know if they're just telling me this is all I could handle, so they signed me this week. But... um, (laughs) You know, Errol's been parsing all these big words the last few weeks. And I'm going to, I mean, we all just, oh, wow, ah, Pastor Brent gets up there. Oh, that looks like first, second grade writing. Um, but it makes it easy for us all to understand, easy to believe. So let's look at this. The first part of this says, oh, it's going to move, boom. We believe that Adam and Eve were directly and immediately created by God. Okay, think on this for a moment. They were directly and immediately created by God. Each person immediately created, worked in, created by God. Genesis 2.7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, remember Genesis 1, what's God doing? He's just speaking things. You know, let there be light. Let there be trees. But when he comes to man, it says he goes and he forms the dust of the ground. He gets down in the dust. 
and he forms it. The word for ground in Hebrew is adama. And so he goes into the adama and he forms Adam. Man, we're made out of dust. And not only does he just take it physically with his hands and molds us, it says then, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It doesn't say that he did that to the cows. It doesn't say that he did that to the trees. It says he did that to human beings, mankind. You and I all sit here, not just because we're on the top of the food chain, we sit here today with the breath of the living God within us. Wow. That's pretty cool. That the breath of the living God brings us life. The next part of our statement says, and we are made in His image and His likeness. This has been something theologians have squabbled over, dug through, come up with a million ideas of what this might look like. Genesis 1 just simply says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What does this image look like? We've tried to look through so many different things. And let's be honest, for most of us, when we think of image, we think of what we look like. How many of you looked in the mirror today? Okay. Some of you, maybe not so much. Um, But we all hopefully looked in the mirror and what did we see? Okay. No, we, 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 we saw an image. We saw something physical, a physical image. But here's the unique thing that Scripture tells us. God is a what? A spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God isn't a God with this physical body like we have. He is a spirit. So here's the good thing. You don't look like God. Now you might look around and go, boy, that wouldn't be bad if God looked like that. But none of us here this morning have that physical bodily representation that looks like God. So what makes us be His image? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, you can see a few things I've got listed up there, and that's just a brief synopsis of some of the handfuls of ideas that scholars have. But the the big ones I look at, I think, first of all, is we are spiritual beings. Okay, We got this body, we got this outward flesh, but God's spirit... God made us eternal beings with a spirit. There's that soul within us that is eternal. That eternal spirit that will either live with God or live away from God. This life isn't all there is. We are made as eternal beings. The other big thing I think we've got to look at is the fact that, um, you know, we've been given choice. God's given us the choice of morality. He's given us the choice in our lives. And that seems to be a part of of God as you read through Scripture. He makes decisions. He makes choices. When you read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27 there, it's interesting when you look. It says, and he created them in his image. And then it says, and he gave them rule over creation. I think a big part of being made in the image of God is God has given us the ability to lead, to rule. Part of what the image of God looks like. But probably the biggest part of what we're called to do is to reflect God's glory. 
We are reflections of God's glory to this world. God has made us with this unique image and this unique ability to reflect Him to the world around. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But let's go on with our statement here. We're free from sin with the intent that they should glorify God, enjoy God's fellowship, live in God's will, and by this accomplish God's purpose in the world. That's how God originally created He's free from sin. That they should glorify God, enjoy His fellowship, and accomplish God's purpose. See, unlike the rest of creation, God has given us unique purpose. He's given us a unique calling. We aren't just called to be on this planet Earth to eat, breathe, you know, live, procreate, and die. He's given us a purpose. You're not here just to breathe in oxygen and give off carbon dioxide so the plants can live. God has brought you here into this world for a unique purpose because He has a plan for your life. And part of that plan is three unique things. And let me just share them with you really quickly. The first one, He created you to worship Him. Every person that comes into this world is created with that innate desire to worship something. It might not be God, but you will worship something. You might worship your job. You might worship your spouse. You might worship your bank account. You might even worship the Chicago Bears. Lord, help us all. Okay? But the reality is you've got to worship somebody because something inside of you says there's got to be somebody more. There's got to be something more I've got to hold on to. There's got to be something I've got to believe in. God created us with a hole in us that only He can fill, though. Because we're called to worship Him. To bring praise and worship to Him. What an amazing, amazing opportunity to be created to worship the Creator. The second thought I had here was just that you're created to enjoy fellowship with the Creator. Here's the cool thing. I mean, the trees, it says, psalmist even says, you know, all creation is shouting praises to God. But, you know, the unique thing that we as human beings get to do is to actually interact with our Creator. We get to hear from Him. He gets to hear from us. We get to enjoy this amazing fellowship of Creator and creation together as human beings created by the hand of God. And then finally... We're created to fulfill the Creator's will and purpose. We've talked about that already, that we just weren't brought into this world just to fill up space. He's brought us in with a purpose to fulfill what He wants to do in our lives. Pastor Jason and I were talking about this subject a few days ago, and he brought to my attention a, a, a neat illustration, I think, of, of this whole idea of the image of God and who we are. In ancient days... Kings, when they would conquer a new land, would come in, and after they'd conquered the land, one of the first things they would bring in were these large statues of themselves. And they would place these large statues throughout this new occupied kingdom, in the villages, in the countryside, along the roads, these villages that would come around in the city square, and there would be the statue of the conquering king. And the reason they would do that was to remind the people who they now served. They now served this king that had conquered the world. 
or conquered their world. And the interesting thing that we see through the wording of Scripture of being made in the image of God, God has placed us as His image bearers in this world to remind the world around them and around us that God rules this world. Think about that for a moment. You're God's statues. Whether at work, whether at home, whether at play, even at church. God has given us His image and to bear that image to stand to this world and say, look at what God did. And look at that God rules. God is king of this world despite what we see around us. Now, wouldn't it be great to just stop in our articles of faith right there and go, yeah, and they lived happily ever after. Perfect people, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, created perfectly, enjoying the wonders of life and creation with God, and it's all good. Let's just go home and go, yeah. But we know the story doesn't end there, does it? Watch this short video, and it reminds us what took place. You, look at your eyes, look at them, speckled, colorful, each one unique, and I created every one of them. I created everything, the universe, and you. I gave you your personality. So I took on your sin and traded it in my life. 
powerful demonstration of our lives and our brokenness. Our next line there says, through Adam's sin of disobedience, man lost his innocence. He incurred the penalty of physical and spiritual death, became subject to God's wrath, and became corrupt. Because of sin, our plates began to break. What had been so perfect, sin marred it and destroyed it. Genesis 3 tells us that story of Adam and Eve in the garden and God had said, you can have everything, enjoy it all. In fact, I give you rule over it all, but just one tree and its fruit, don't touch it. He didn't say that, he just said, don't eat it. And through the cunning of the serpent that came and said, Oh, did God really mean that? Did he? he didn't mean no. You can have it. He's just, you know, we all know how God gets sometimes. Go ahead. And through Adam and Eve's taking of that fruit, the perfection that God had created was broken. It was shattered. And ever since creation has been paying a high price, Death came into this world. No longer would this body live forever. This body has a termination, this flesh and blood. Now our spirit, the joy of that is it gets to live forever. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But this physical body will die one day. You read in Genesis 3 the punishments that were given to Adam and Eve. To Eve it said, now to woman... Your bearing of children will no longer be just a joy, but it will be painful, it will be excruciating, it will be terrible suffering. And all you moms said, Amen to that. Okay? To the men, he said, you'll no longer just walk through the garden and pick the beautiful fruit of the tree and hand it to your family to give them sustenance. You'll no longer just easily provide, but from now on, you'll dig into the dust of the earth trying to eke out a living for your family. And for thousands of years, we've been doing that. Sin has brought consequences unto our life. But that's not the end of the story. Look at what comes next. Man is thus hopelessly lost, but apart from salvation through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, friend, you and I are both hopelessly lost this morning. I don't care how good of a churchgoer you've been. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how of a good person you are. Every one of us are broken and we're lost except for the grace that Jesus Christ can give us. He's the only one that can take the broken pieces of our plates and super glue them by the grace that He can give and bring us back into the creation He created us to be. Only he can do that. The writer of Romans says it in unique ways throughout the passage. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Okay? That video pretty much showed us that. It breaks everything. Sin breaks everything. And it doesn't just, it's not just that person over there or that. It's all of us. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that got the, the get out of free jail card. Every one of us are stuck in the same predicament. But God didn't leave us there. Romans 5.8 says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many sinners out there this morning? If you didn't raise your hand, you definitely are a sinner because you're a liar, okay? (laughs) All right? Every one of us have broken God's law in some shape or form. All because of Adam and Eve's sin that came into this world. We all come under that heritage of sin and we're broken. But God said, I don't care. Even in your ugliness, even in your brokenness, even in your life that just seems like it's falling apart all around you, God says, I come into it. Even while we are still sinners, Christ died for us in John 3.16 that reminds us all for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall have eternal life. Wow! God loved us even in our brokenness to come and say, I'm willing to put it all back together because I love you and I want you. Here's the crazy thing. Some people will come up and say, you know what? How in the world is it that just because one man and one wife made such a mess of things that we all have to suffer? Let's be honest. Have you ever asked that question? I have. I'm like, why in the world would I have to answer for Adam and Eve's sin? I'm my own man. I'm American. I can do my own thing. But we all come under the penalty of sin. Paul writes in Romans 5 this. And this brings clarity to this whole thought. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And he's just getting the fact. Adam sinned, we all find sin. But let's skip down to verse 18. It says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. God says, you want me to be fair about this? Okay, here's my fair. One man caused sin to enter the world. He said, I'm going to send my own son, and one God-man is going to take care of the sin problem. Through one man, God brings us back to Himself. So what does this mean for our lives? What does it mean to how I live my life on a daily basis? Well, let's get to the metamorphosized part in your notes. You've probably been waiting all day. Like, when's he ever going to get to the notes, you know? I'm a preacher, so it takes me a while to get there, okay? Here's three things to go home with. How does this change our life? Number one, God the Creator is the center of life. Like I said too many times, we live as if we are the center of our world. We are not. God is. God is the center of my life. Is that reflected in how you live each day? Or is it just reflected on what you want, what you need, what you've got at this moment? Or is it reflecting on what does God want for my life right now? Is God the center of your life? Second of all, 
Human life is intrinsically valuable. Human life is intrinsically valuable. Here's a great thing to remind ourselves of. We live in a world that politically argues this issue of life and it's going to become more and more an issue in the years ahead, friends, unfortunately, as we decide when do we, when do we, when do we begin life, when do we end life, and who has control of that. But if you believe we are made in the image of God, it doesn't matter whether you're a boy, a girl, a man, or a woman. It doesn't matter whether you're inside the womb or outside the womb. It doesn't matter whether you're on your deathbed or you just came into this world. If you're made in the image of God, every part of life is valuable. That's why you hear us speak and preach on the reality of we are a pro-life people. We value life around here, not just because it's the political thing to do, it's because it's the God thing to do. God made every one of us. Look around you. There's beautiful people. There's beautiful people. There's beautiful people all around you today. And it doesn't matter what color skin you have. It doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't matter if you have all your genes or a part of your genes. It doesn't matter whether what you do in society, your value comes from being made in the image of God. Hear me, church. There's a, there's a movement out there telling us, well, if you're not valuable to society... No need to keep you around. You're just holding the rest of us back. That's not God's way. God values life. We're made in His image. Third thing is this. Human man cannot save himself. Only Jesus can. Let's be honest. Some of us have tried to save ourselves. We've tried to be good enough. And then we got, I messed up again. We've tried the different things in life to find the party that will, you know, get, take over all the trouble and the frustrations in our life and think if I can just live for myself long enough, I'll be free from all this other stuff. And at the end of it all, we just are so frustrated. Because there's not one of us here today that can save ourselves. Only Jesus Christ can. Only He can come in and take the broken plates of our life and put the pieces back together. See, God the Creator is the center of my life. You know, years ago, the, 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 even the scientists, they believed that the sun revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of everything and the sun revolved around it. Well, as we got a, you know, larger micro, or telescopes and began to scientifically discover things, guess what we found? We revolve around the sun. Too often, we think God's revolving around us. We've made God our little revolving sun, when in reality, our lives are to revolve around Him. He's the creator. I'm the creation. So how does that affect my impact with those around us as we multiply this idea of the doctrine of man, or the truth of man? The first thing is, every person is a glimpse of the Creator. Now, let's be honest, that's hard to take in sometimes. You might even be sitting by one of those today and you're like, are you serious? That's a glimpse of the Creator? Okay? I mean, every person is a glimpse into God. 
Even that person at work that just drives you crazy. Even that annoying neighbor that lives across the street. And I'm not going to look at any today because they're here. But, um, uh, you know, not to, not to mention any names, Yancey's. Um, but, um, but to realize that in our lives, the people that we come around, they are all a glimpse of God. Now, let's be honest, through our human eyes, People are beautiful, people are not so beautiful, people are offensive, people are nice. But in God's eyes, they all give us a glimpse of His image. Hmm. Think about that this week as you go to those people in your life and see them that way. The second thing is this. Every person will will live eternally, heaven or hell. I mean, we've heard preachers preach that over and over. But the truth is we're all eternal beings. Yeah, this body's going to die. And man, I'll tell you, as I get older, I'm glad this thing's going to die off pretty soon. I mean, man, you get aches and creaks and start waking up in the morning walking down the stairs like my dad does. You know, and I'm like, oh man, drives me nuts. But there's a spirit within me that will live forever. And it'll either live in heaven or hell. And that's just not me or you sitting in church today. That's the seven plus billion people around this globe that have an eternal destination. And what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Finally, and just to remind us again, I can save no one, only Jesus can. Now you might be the best, best salesperson there is. You might be as eloquent as anything and you hear me this morning and you're like, man, I wish they put me up there instead. That guy, you know. You could be so good at your speech and so good at getting people to buy your thing, but you'll never get anybody to buy Jesus. That's God's work. He's the one that saves. Now that doesn't mean we don't tell people about Jesus. In fact, I believe our goal and our role is to be storytellers. We're reflections of God's glory, not just in walking around this planet, but through our words. And I hope you are telling your story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life with everyone that you see around you when you have those opportunities. But let me, not, let me crush your ego a little bit this morning. When those people come and find their need for salvation... It's not going to be because you were so persuasive with your words. It's going to be because of the persuasive power of the Holy Spirit of God on their hearts. Praise God He uses us. Man, uses us sometimes in spite of us. But we will not save anyone. Only He will save. Pastor Carlos has, has this phrase that he uses, and we've pro- you've probably heard him use it several times in our worship times together, but that God has created us, we are a glorious ruin. We're the glorious reflection of Jesus Christ, but we are a ruined up mess because of sin. And yet God takes those two elements together and as a glorious ruin, He makes us the wonderful reflections of His glory to a world that's wondering who did all this, who made this, who's in charge. And by our just walking around, living out the love of Jesus, people are able to say, God rules. This is God's kingdom. God's at work. And what a privilege that is. 
But once a month at NBC, we come around these communion tables. And they're called communion because it's that opportunity just to reconnect again, just to put ourselves back at ground zero and say, okay, God, this is me and you. This is what you've done in my life. And it's a great reminder to every one of us that we can't do this on our own. We're just man. But through the sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus Christ, we can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And if you're here this morning, and you maybe haven't made that confession of faith yet in your life to follow Jesus Christ, maybe today's the right day. Right now, you've been sitting there and feeling, man, you know what? I feel like those plates, my life looks like that. It's a mess. I have tried to put this together, but I can't. Maybe today's your day just where you're sitting, just in the quietness of your heart to say, Jesus, I need you. I want to have that life that's put together, not perfect, but put together by your hands rather than my hands. And I need you today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning and we're going to come to these tables. There's some in the front and in the back ask you to go out your left and come back in on your right side just for logistics help this morning. But it, you're, you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. This table's open to you. If you haven't made that decision yet, it might be your day just to sit and wait. Maybe just to sit and ponder what God's doing in your life. But if you're here today and this is your faith statement, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, these tables are open for you. And I ask you to come and just take a little piece of the bread and a cup of juice that remind us of what Jesus Christ did and take those back to your seat and take some time to commune with God. And then we're going to take together. So would you come now?